You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. My name is Paisley Bertrand. I'll be reading from Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel of heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, now I say it again, anyone who is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking, not for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I seeking to please man? If I were still pleasing man, then I would be a servant, I would not be a servant of Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Paisley. Um, my name is Matt. Uh, that's my eldest daughter, and she kind of stepped in today uh, last minute because we weren't really sure exactly what was going on. So um, typically Tanner would be up here, and he has been sick. His family's kind of been out a little bit with the, the nasty that's going around. So uh, I get to come before you guys today and bring the word, and um, if I'm honest, it sounds like a little bit of feedback, but if I'm honest, uh, man, I struggle a lot with this stuff sometimes because I feel like so much of it has to be a production. It has to be a show that we're putting on for you guys, right? And that's, that's not the case at all. So I would just ask that you would pray for me as we're going through this. Uh, it's kind of a lot of a short minute things and stuff like that. And just to speak to how awesome this church is real quick. So I was thinking this morning, I was like, dang it, Tanner said, like, it's our two-year anniversary, right? And so he was saying we'd have some donuts here. And I was like, well, maybe next week. We can kind of do that next week, right? You know, let's just see if we can pull this thing off. Uh, kind of with the way things were going. And lo and behold, Chad ends up getting donuts for us all. And that's what I love about this church, too, is just that in this body, we have people that just love to step up and do things and bless uh, their fellow believers. And so uh, I'm just super thankful to be here this morning. Uh, again, my name is Matt, and uh, my wife and I uh, love serving here. Um, if you're new, uh, there are some cards under your chairs. They have some stuff in there so you can fill out so we can reach out and connect with you guys and um, if there's questions you have about us our church maybe our core beliefs things like that we'd love to answer those maybe you have questions about what it is to be saved we'd love to get in touch with you guys and walk with you through that Um, paisley read to us out of galatians and uh, we use the esv bible Um, so if you're on like a mobile device that's there for you, or if you need one, you can raise your hand, and we will definitely get you one uh, to take with you in case you need a Bible. So last week, we, as we started Galatians, um, Tanner introduced us to this book. Now, this book is actually a letter, and it was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to this church, one of these churches that he established in what, it, the province of Galatia, okay, kind of what we consider present-day Turkey, all right. Uh, he and his fellow missionary, Barnabas, uh, not Barabbas, that's someone else. Barnabas was like the, the guy, the main elf in Santa Claus, if you recall. Uh, anyways, <laughs> different guy. 
But he went with Paul on this trip. Uh, their first round, they were establishing some of these churches, right, bringing this gospel of Christ risen. And so when you, to understand some of this, you have to kind of backtrack a little bit to the book of Acts. And we see that Paul was commissioned. He, at first, he was this guy who was supremely after this early church, this early Christian movement. And it was his job as this Pharisee to go and hunt them down, jail them, or worse, okay? And he has this meeting with Christ along the way. And we see that the Lord Christ actually takes him and gives him this commission to go and take this message to the world, to the, to the Jews, but then mostly to the Gentiles that we'll see. This message of salvation through faith in the works of Christ, okay? He was to pay, take this message to a, lar- a larger world, a world that was filled with non-Jewish people, okay? That's what Gentiles are. We are non-Jewish. A world that was thriving economically with major trade centers springing up all over um, and what, like I said, was present-day Turkey. It was just this hub, this booming hub of activity. And it was this world that, while thriving economically, was dead inside. They were in desperate need of this gospel that saves Tanner told us last week that Paul was not sent by any man. He wasn't educated under some earthly rabbi and then sent. His appointment as an apostle, an apostle, that means sent, okay? His appointment as apostle came from the apostle, the one who was sent to us in Jesus, Christ himself. Paul's marching orders were from him and him alone, and therefore he was beholden to none but the Lord, right? That's who he was accountable to. And if you stop and and kind of think, it really is awesome when you consider that God the Father and his sovereignty and his planning and his understanding planned and chose the exact time for this revelation of his plan. Because the world was exploding at this time. People were traveling far and wide. People from lots of different ethnic, national, regional, cultural groups were interacting more than they ever had before. It was basically kind of like, if you can think of like MySpace back in the day, right? How revolutionary that was. Yeah, we've got all the other things now, but think of how revolutionary MySpace was, okay? That's what we have going on here. It's like the advent of the internet almost. And we have this Roman system of roads and trade systems. And so the whole world, the whole known world at the time was connected. The time was right for this message of Christ and Christ alone to spread to the ends of the earth and eventually make it all the way to West Texas where we are today. If it wasn't for guys like Paul taking this message to those who were not Jewish, we wouldn't be here today. Okay, he wrote most of the New Testament as these letters to these churches that he established in the, books of, the book of Acts. They were letters to guide them, encourage them, maybe clarify some sticking points and stuff like that. And as we're going to see today, he, he also rebuked them. So let's pray. Uh, I'm going to pray over the sermon today. I would ask that you guys would just pray over me as well, uh, just stepping in and, and getting to speak with you guys today. Let's go to the Lord. Jesus, you are so good to us and kind. I thank you for the opportunity to get up here and and speak, Lord. I pray that I would honor you with uh, this sermon and with my words, Lord. I pray that it would just uh, be fruitful, 
God, I pray that your spirit would speak through me. I pray, God, that you would just fill this place with your presence. We know that you're here, Lord, but I pray that you would just be working on people's hearts, that you would be softening us, uh, correcting us where needed, Lord, that there would be freedom here today as we dive into, into Galatians a bit more, Lord, that you would show us in this declaration what freedom really is and what that means to rest in it, Jesus. We love you. We thank you, Lord. I pray that you would just speak today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So last week we got this really nice introduction, right? Paul states kind of his qualifications, talks about that he was uh, qualified and sent by the Lord himself. And then he goes into this church and he's saying, brothers, peace and grace to you, grace and peace. Well, grace, let's stop and define these words real quick. So grace meaning it's this unmerited favor, okay? We have now this undeserved, unmerited favor with the God of all creation and it had nothing to do with you. It's unmerited. That means you didn't work for it. So sometimes people get grace and mercy. They kind of almost interchange them, but they are different. So mercy is kind of like you did this really bad thing. This is what you deserve, but I'm going to be merciful to you, and I'm not going to give you that. Grace is kind of like the flip side of that coin that's saying, you don't deserve any of this good stuff, but because you have now become my child, this is what you get. Okay? So peace now, if we're looking at peace, like Tanner said, we were at war with the Lord. We were at war with the king of creation. You might not realize it, but we were. If we are in our flesh and if we're pursuing the desires of our own heart, this sin, we are claiming our own authority over our lives and over our spirits and over who we are. And the Lord has also made claim on that too. So we were in hostile confrontation with him. No more. So Paul is wishing them grace and peace right before he lays the smack down on them. Okay, he might as well have called them a jabroni while he was at it. No, the rock, anyone wrestling? No. So when we pick it up in, in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you, so quickly de- or, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I have four kids, four amazing, bright, beautiful, sweet girls. With them, I am truly blessed beyond what I deserve. But they're also, and Pays can attest to this, I say this often, they're also these precious little sinners. Okay, we have some of you guys sitting back over here that are expecting your own precious little sinner any day now. That's awesome. I love them so much, but sometimes they make me just you know, <laughs> you get the point. So the other night, I was working on some stuff on the computer at our kitchen bar. My wife, Jordan, is pouring herself a glass of wine and offers me a glass. There was just enough for me to have a glass as well, but I declined at that moment because I'm more holy than she is. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, <I> d- <laughs> no, that is not the case at all. Um, no, I declined because the kids were still up, okay? And I felt that the niceness that the wine offers would be wasted while still trying to wrangle children. And it's like, if I'm going to enjoy this, I want to be able to enjoy it. And 
usually that's kind of her MO as well. <laughs> and so I was kind of surprised. But anyway, I digress. So they would be getting in bed soon, and then I would partake, all right? Now, I know some of you might not drink, and that's great. If the Holy Spirit has convicted you, fine. But I do, and it's something I like to do with my wife, and we share this together. And I have a lot of kids, so I need something. Give me a break. So a few minutes go by, and I'm sitting there working away, and I hear my four-year-old, Cannon. I love her. Um, she's rustling and doing something in the trash. And then I look up and see that she has the bottle of wine, and she's just pouring the rest of it into the trash can. My wine. Okay. Now, it could have been worse. She could have been downing it, I suppose. Uh, but she wanted the bottle and thought that we were done with it, right? And so she was just going to take it upon herself to, to dispose of what was in there and go do what she was going to do with the bottle. I still don't know. Um, but in that moment, I was flummoxed. I was flabbergasted, okay? Floored, if you will. We don't make a habit of just letting our kids play with wine bottles. We don't make a habit of just leaving stuff that we're done with in the fridge, right? Um, the whole thing really just kind of shocked me, and I, was just, I didn't know what to do, how to handle it. Uh, I was bummed because my wine was gone. I was shocked because, why is my child doing this? Kids, people... We do really silly things at times, okay? Pouring out wine, granted, is really, 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 really low on, like, that list of things that we do that are kind of retarded and stupid, and I'm sorry I shouldn't have said that word, but silly. Um, soiling the gospel, turning from the messes that saves us, it's much more important. And it seems like the opening statements about grace and peace Almost like sometimes I have to tell my kids I love them. Listen, I really do. Right before I have to call them to the carpet. This word astonished here really kind of falls short in our day and age. But it goes much deeper than just surprise. It means that you marveled or you're in awe, right? Paul is shook. To his core, he is marveling at how they could stray from the message that was first brought to them. This was harsh. He can't fathom that they would do such a thing. The very church that he established is making a grievous error. And what is the source of this, this righteous marveling? What is welled up in this man, the hurt and the shock akin to like a parent whose kids are playing in the street? They have turned to a different gospel a false gospel. And not only did they turn to this other gospel, but they did it so quickly. It's like a daddy saying, do not go in the street. And then being like, less than a minute ago, I told you, do not go in the street. And the second I turn away, there you go. <clears throat> Who have they offended here? Paul, yes, certainly, you see, but you see he says him, that you have quickly turned on him. This him is God himself. It's his gospel, not Paul's, but his. He is the one who called them. He's the one who called them to this grace through Jesus. They have betrayed the very one who saves them. Paul says that there is no other gospel. What is the gospel? 
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, For I have delivered to you as of first importance that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then in Romans 5, later, he says, therefore since, I ha- therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through faith. Some of us have grown too accustomed to hearing this message of salvation. It's become old news at this point. We've heard it many times before. You see it on t-shirts. You, you've read it in books, Right? We grow desensitized to it. And it's a dangerous place to be because I would almost argue that we don't hear the good news preached enough. We don't preach it to ourselves enough. We don't preach the gospel to our friends, to our family members, to our fellow believers enough. Not even talking to unbelievers here. We don't preach it to ourselves. Jesus, who is the exact imprint and nature of God, because he is God, stepped into our world to take our sins upon himself. He was sinless and accomplished the work that we could never do on our own, yet he was put to death for our failures. This sacrifice of his life has forever washed us and made us holy in the eyes of the Father. He then rose from the dead, and defeated death itself, giving us hope for new and glorious bodies and an eternity in the presence of God Almighty. His Spirit now in us crying out, Father. That's what was done on our behalf of first importance. None of this was your own doing. Scripture tells us that we can't even proclaim that Jesus is Lord without the work of the Spirit in us. It's faith. The work has been done, and we rest in it by faith. I'm currently doing this study on the book of Hebrews with my man Chad back there. It's a study by a man named Michael J. Kruger. (laughs) There we go. Oh, man, that makes me feel good. Tanner always gets the A's, and I usually don't. (laughs) He makes a beautiful point about the work of Christ being done, being all-sufficient, meeting every need for us. So Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 3, tells us that after making us pure, after this atoning sacrifice to make us holy, that Christ sat down by the Father. Now, Kruger goes on to say that in the tabernacle, so the tabernacle, if you can think, um, before they had the established nation of Israel, they were still traveling all around the wilderness, okay? And they had this huge tent that they would erect uh, in this very particular and worshipful manner, and that's where the presence of God dwelt with them. And then uh, later on, they, they established the temple, right? In the, in the, in the nation's capital. And... This is where the priests would come in. They would do all this work to atone for the, the sins of the, of the community, right? But there were never any chairs recorded. There's no mention of any chairs. I mean, and there's a lot of detail when you see about how the tabernacle and the temple were designed and constructed. I mean, they talk about the forks and every little minute detail on what was engraved. No mention of chairs because the priests were never expected to sit 
The work was never done. Okay? Paul tells us that these, the blood of these animals never washed those sins away. These priests were never done. Not only did they have to take care and try and go to the Lord for the sins of the people, but their own sins as well. That work was never going to be finished. It was just this constant work from these priests. Yet here in Christ, we have the true high priest. He doesn't have to atone for his own sins. And his one sacrifice took care of us all for all time. He finished his work and then he sat down because there was nothing else to do. Nothing else to be added to it. But see, there's this group of Jews who are trying to demand that these new Gentile, remember, non-Jewish converts to this Christian faith still had to submit to the Old Testament law. Okay, they had to be circumcised. Okay, the, all males had to be circumcised. And then they also had to follow these strict dietary regulations. Yeah, you need faith in Jesus. That's a good starting point. But you also have to have this and this as well in order to be saved. Like Tanner said, this false gospel is Jesus plus A, B, C, whatever. Anything that claims Jesus and dot, dot, dot is not the gospel. R.C. Sproul tells us that this error, this fatal error, is actually the whole reason. It's the impetus for this letter in the first place. It's the inspiration in order to correct and save a church that has gone off the reservation and is at risk of taking a lot more with it. Faith plus merit, that's not the gospel. Jesus on the cross and my response, that's not the gospel. And I love Paul's attitude here in verse 7. He's, you can tell he's livid, right? And then he says that they have turned to this different gospel. And then he says, not that there is one. He has like this snarky tone kind of that is driving the point home that he is so deeply upset that they have betrayed the very God who has called and saved them. How upset is he that they have turned to this different gospel? In verses 8, starting in verse 8, we see him say, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He's drawing a line in the sand. He's saying, if I, if Mark, if Timothy, if Barnabas, if James, if any of us, or even angels, teach something besides this gospel, they may God curse him. I had a different word in there. Um, Tanner suggested I change that word. Um, it starts with a D. It's a four-letter word, so I'll let you figure that out. Because I think we need to see the weight here right? They are strong words that he is choosing here. There is no error, and this is no like flagrant like blustering on Paul's part. I don't know Paul personally. We miss each other by a little bit of time in geography, 
But when you read his works, he seems to mean it. Sproul says it like this. If you preach Jesus and, uh, on the cross and something else, they may God send you to hell. Think of, if you can go back even in time and think through those that God has cursed. Look at the serpent in the garden. Look at the angels that betrayed. Look at those that would lead his people away. Even when you look at Jesus, right? We always love to think that Jesus was a nice guy and never had any confrontation. But in Matthew 23, 13, we see, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would go in to enter. When you look at the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, right? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, his, his earthly life here in his ministry, we see that he has saved his especially harsh words for those who would stand between him and his beloved. God wasn't going to have that. And just to make sure that Paul is like, hey, you know what? You might get upset about this, but I really don't care, right? He wants to remind us of who sent him in the first place. Whose authority is he working in? And it says in verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Am I trying to please man? If I were so trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. What he's saying here is, you might get mad that I'm sending you this letter. I don't care because this is important stuff. And you need to understand this. I'm not beholden to you. I'm beholden to him who has given me this authority and sent me to do this, this mission. These words are weighty and they should be. This is life and death he is discussing here. This is not just a four-year-old pouring out my wine. He says, I have one person to answer to and it's Jesus. I don't care who I might upset, but I have to honor him. Don't at me. Is that, is that still a thing? Do people still say that online? Or is that like 2016 or so? I don't know. But in all seriousness, leading people away from the unmerited grace that we talked about earlier, the unmerited favor that is offered to all who believe in Jesus crucified on their behalf is wicked. You are now at odds against the God of creation. Plain and simple. His righteousness has been given to us freely for simply believing it. How can we call it the good news, which is what the gospel means, right? Good news. How can we call it that if we still have stuff to accomplish for our salvation? I'm never going to be able to clean my slate. I get mad at Chick-fil-A when people don't know how to merge in the drive through lane. I say things without thinking sometimes. How am I ever going to be able to earn my way into God's favor? My father's side of the family uh, is Catholic. When my papa died, when my, when my dad died, my mama was such a wreck because she hoped that they would be allowed into heaven. 
She implored me to pray for my dad while he was in purgatory so that they would not be there for eternity, that my prayers would be able to make him holy there because he wasn't holy enough. In her Catholicism, Jesus wasn't enough. I tried preaching the good news to her son whenever we go visit, but not near enough. I regret that to this day that my sweet mama lived the rest of her life carrying the burden of praying my dad into heaven and also making sure she did enough to earn her spot as well. Freedom. This is where we need William Wallace to, to pass through here, right? That's what Paul is after here. The freedom that comes from faith alone and Christ alone. So much of the Reformation was about a return to Scripture, sola scriptura. Justification through faith alone and Christ alone. One could almost argue that Paul was, even before Martin Luther, everyone let's uh, go to Martin Luther, but Paul was probably the OG reformer at the time, right? Because... His whole desire was to sit and focus on Jesus alone and Scripture alone. You can't save yourself. Your bank account won't save you. Your well-behaved kids won't save you. Your workaholic schedule won't save you. Your spouse won't save you. Feeling guilty and then giving to your church, coming to church out of obligation won't save you. You need Christ crucified. You need to hear that you are justified and made right by his work alone. That freedom then allows us to enjoy and appreciate things and be thankful. We can enjoy our kids while raising them in the word, knowing that my worth is not in how they behave, but in Christ alone. I can enjoy my work because I know that I want to honor him the best I can with the best of my abilities because my job doesn't have the final say on my life. I can steward my money as a way of blessing the Lord because he has already met my biggest need and paid a debt that I could never afford. I can ask the Holy Spirit to, clean, to help clean up my mouth and help me control my anger because I want my body to be a living sacrifice and I, I want to live a life worthy of the calling of God. All the while... Resting in his completed work, knowing that Christ will see me through and complete the work that he has begun. What lies do you tell yourself? In what ways do you hold yourself hostage, right? Are you carrying burdens that aren't yours to bear? Have you believed a different gospel? Yes, I know Jesus. He did this thing. But I still have to make sure this and this and this, right? Friends, there is no other. Rest. Repent. Believe. Enjoy this freedom offered by Christ. If you aren't a believer and you're here with us today, if you have not yet stepped into this freedom from working for your salvation, making sure you have to do everything right and have this and this, 
that offer is for you too. Come. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to get yourself right and then come to Jesus. I'm going to get myself right and then I'm going to come to church. You come. You just come. Believe that he loved you enough to do the work for you that you could never do. We're going to have a time of response. If you need to repent of believing in a false gospel of your own, then use this time. If you want to rejoice in the work done on your behalf, then let's glorify God with singing and songs of thanks. Spend this time well. Get with people if you need to. Find someone in your community group. Pray with them. We have communion set up in the back. The Bible tells us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, that he took some bread and he broke it, saying that this was his body that was being offered for us. He then took a cup of wine and said that this was his blood that was going to be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As Christians, we take communion with reverence and joy, remembering the work that that Jesus has completed on our behalf, the salvation work. If you're not a believer, there's nothing in that communion that's going to save you. That's not for you. We would ask that you not partake if you're not a believer. If you're walking in this ongoing sin, get with someone and repent. Confess. Let's, let's get together and pray and walk through this stuff. If you're not a believer, we ask that you would just come to Christ. So Devante, my man right here, raise your hand, Devante. He can help pray with you if you have questions. We'd love to answer those, walk with you through what this looks like. Let's come to the Lord and thank him for this freedom. Let's rejoice in it. Let's pray.